Welcome to the Crater Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss all the JavaScript news that's happened on Crater.io this week. This episode is for Friday, March 25th, 2016. This week's episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They are the single best hosting option available for Meteor right now. Go to Modulus.io and check them out. They offer a marketplace. They offer you Mongo databases. It's very easy to integrate with other Mongo databases. You know, they offer WebSocket support with sticky sessions. They do everything right for your Meteor app. I use them for everything that I'm doing. I would highly recommend you use them as well. Modulus.io. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your Meteor application off the ground quickly and the easiest to scale when you find success. I host Crater.io there, so I understand DigitalOcean. Start with a pre-configured one-click launch, such as Node.js, to get it up and running in 55 seconds, or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSD and state-of-the-art data centers around the world. DigitalOcean is the fastest-growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers and laser-focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. Use the promo code CRATER10 on the billing page when you sign up for $10 to get started. Welcome, Crater fans. I'm your host, Josh Owens, along with my special co-host. Abby Iyer. How you guys doing? Hey, man. We had, we had some issues, and I tried swapping out some mics, and I got a new camera now, so if you're watching the YouTube, you'll see that. But it seems like we're still getting a little bit static. I'm not sure what's going on there. I'm going to try to... Maybe uh, after this show, try to swap out some uh, cables, see if that, that fixes it. Um, I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. Where's the AV department, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calling the tech guys. <laughs> Where's the tech guys at? Oh, yeah. We're the tech guys. I forgot. Oops. <laughs> That's awkward. Welcome back to the show, Abby. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I love yeah. coming on the show. Yeah, so uh, Ben and I just wrapped a show for, we were talking to the, the Feathers guys. So after we talked about Feathers last week, we, uh, we I invited them on the show and, and they said, okay. So Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, that was a, that was a great topic. Good talk we had there. Uh, but this week we're going to talk about 11 lines of JavaScript breaking the internet. I can't believe that. Ominous. I can't believe it. How in the world do I host multiple Meteor apps on one DigitalOcean droplet? Being so a freelance Meteor developer is different. <laughs> and uh, a React Native Meteor fact. Yep. Some good stuff. I like these topics, especially, I mean, the ones I got were like kind of out of my wheelhouse a little bit, but I learned a lot of cool stuff, so I can't wait to share it with everyone. Yeah, definitely. So let's just uh, get into it. Sure. So, some crazy stuff happened this week. Uh, broke broke the internet. Didn't really break the internet, but uh, broke a bunch of Node apps. Anyone that's using Node itself or uh, Able.js probably had trouble pulling stuff from NPM earlier this week. It uh, turns out that there was a package that was published along with uh, 249-ish other packages by someone, and uh, Azer, so very prolific NPM package publisher. 
there was a bit of a kerfuffle over one of his packages being named Kick, K-I-K, uh, and apparently some, some lawyers from the instant messaging app Kick came along and said, you need to take that down. You're infringing on our trademark. Uh, we're going we're gonna to come after you if you don't. And he said, I'm not going to take it down. Yeah. So apparently they didn't like that answer. So they went to NPM, the business, and said, hey, we have a lot of lawyers. So we're going to make a big deal out of this. You either give it to us or take it down or something. Or, you know, we're going to be forced to, to aim our high-powered rifle of lawyers at you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to put that. but And so they, they took it down. I guess Azer was, was pretty upset at that point. I think I would be too. Right? Yeah. It's definitely not cool. Like this is an open source project. And yeah. Certainly, like I, I've never been on the receiving end of any kind of legal threat like that. Um, so I don't, I don't know what that's like. But, you know, he, he just decided to unpublish all his modules. And it turns out he had a little 11-line uh, package called LiftPad that quite a few the other node modules are relying on, like, like we're talking a lot. This thing, thing was fetched 2.5 million times just in the last month, right? So this, this is a very yeah. relied upon package. And the fact that it got unpublished just kind of like broke everything, including Node itself and, and Babel. It's just, it's so crazy how like something as small as like putting padding on strings, which is like what the module did, right? It's like yeah. pads, it just put, it puts left padding on strings and, you know, some node module authors just started running with it. And then now the guy unpublished it, which is, it's just so funny. Like I never thought that there'd be legal battles for open source names. I never thought that. Apparently this company was trying to make their own modules called kick or something the kick module because their their company's named kick and I, I, I can't believe uh, it went with such force like oh we're going to uh, we're going to sue this out of you you know like it's kind of weird I mean would we be surprised if Facebook or Twitter did it that's true that's true yeah. I, like if I was like if I was like uh, if I had like the Facebook before Facebook was Facebook I had like some module named Facebook something like yeah they'd probably come after you yeah. I wonder if they pay you out. I wonder if you just buy, you know, they buy you out. Or, it doesn't look like this guy got an offer. Just like, <laughs> hey, give me your, give it for money. But I, I, I would feel like a big company like Google or uh, Facebook would rather just pay the person rather than get the legal team involved. You know, it's like, yeah, like honestly, I'd, I'd happily move off a, a, a node module name for a four figure, five figure check. Yeah. No brainer. That's a no brainer. <laughs> Yeah. I think this guy, I think for this guy, it was about pride. I think it was just like, he's done a lot for the community in, in terms of his modules. And I, I think some of it is just, he had a blog post and well, I want to get the quote right. Um, they ended up putting, putting the module back up, by the way. Yeah. And kind of got everything fixed pretty quickly. So NPM did handle that part of it pretty well. This situation made me realize that NPM is someone's private land where corporate is more powerful than people. And I do open source because power to the people. And I think that that's, to me, that's a pretty accurate sentiment to the take. You know, you feel like uh, NPM itself is maybe something that's, that's for the people, but it turns out it's not. 
they are a business at the end of the day. Uh, and businesses, I, I don't know if they're a nonprofit, but business businesses are in the business of making money yeah. um, generally. So it's, yeah. uh, it's definitely sparked a whole debate. You know, I see David Hunnamire Hansen having fun at Node because this little 11 line package broke the whole ecosystem. Yeah. Um, you know, it, they were able to fix it quickly and, I know he's more in the monolith camp, but I think that it sparked interesting discussion around the fact that you get to move faster because you're able to utilize someone else's work versus like having to write everything from scratch. It's really interesting because looking at like Feathers JS versus Meteor uh, in the the podcast I just did with Ben, like you know, it's it's kind of the same thing, right? Like they're they're leveraging as much other people's work as they can. Yeah, they can just write the stuff that's core to what they're building and or the the architecture pattern they're kind of promoting here. I still think that's a smart thing to do. I think that in the end, the situation was resolved. Like even if it's a two hundred line you know, package, I think uh, someone would have republished it somehow and maybe update a bunch of things, but I'm not doing a great job at supporting all my open source stuff. And when I don't do that, someone comes along and forks it and, and does what they need to do and other people figure that out and kind of migrate that way. Yeah, we don't really, I don't know. I, I see the Node ecosystem a little bit more like... Uh, like embracing true open source where like people are actually becoming contributors and stuff on the flip side with meteor, some meteor packages will exist for like a day and then the next day there'll be some split or some different variation or, you know, a good example, not to, to uh, get on those practical, the practical meteor people, but they like took Mike's package and they made practical meteor mocha. And like, I feel like in the NPM world, they would have figured out a way to make the module more, you know, elastic in terms of it could work for different use cases and stuff like that. I haven't seen this like concept a lot in the NPM community where, oh, this is a fork of this package that we just did a bunch of stuff. And then, you know, there are a couple of things out there like uh, there's an NPM module called Juice that helps people inline uh, CSS. Well, there's like Juice 1, Juice 2, Juice 3, Juice 4. There's like people just fork it and they add little things to it. First, I don't know if that is productive for the ecosystem, especially since I know, like, Josh, you have a forums package, Aldi has a forums package, and then some other companies that have net or media developers, they have their own forums packages. Abigail Watson has her own forum package. See what I'm saying? Like, it's just like a thing. I, I don't know where the resolution there is, but I, this, this did bring a lot of, like, healthy debate about, like, in my company, especially, we're like, oh, yeah, so half, there was half the team was like, Oh, that's why we build our own stuff. So we, we only can only have to worry about our own mistakes and stuff. And I'm, I'm on the flip side saying like, if we had to build all our, our, all of our own stuff, you guys would be here till 3 a.m. every night working just to catch up, just to, just to be where you need to be. Just because you could build it yourself doesn't mean you should. Right. And where does it stop too? It's kind of of my thought there, right? Like just because, like, is it okay to use MongoDB or do we say like, we got to write our own database? You know, which I think is is something you can certainly uh, undertake at some point when it makes sense for your business if you need to, right? Like uh, certainly the the people behind Cassandra, I think Twitter and and Facebook were both kind of throwing efforts in there. Or once you have scaling problems, you you start to tackle those. But yeah, I I agree. Like to me, like we're where we're at today with computing because of open source, in my opinion. 
I think that that will continue to move forward. Um, yeah. So and and the caliber of developers will only get better because of open source because they get to use npm modules. They get to learn something maybe like about the module that they would have had to go on a huge yak shave to learn. They can go look at a module, understand how the architecture was laid out. Then they don't have to go second guess it for themselves. You know, they, they can yeah. adopt these things and, you know, yeah. and they can get a, be a better developer. So I think yeah, it's, I, I would agree with that. I would, I would almost compare it to the car industry, right? Like if you look back at cars in the sixties or seventies, like they were built in a way that people could look at them and understand the standards. Whereas now, like everything's getting computerized and becoming proprietary and you got to have this tool to be able to interact with the car's engine. So, I mean, like things are going to get more and more complicated in that regard. And it's not really like open source, right? Like Tesla's open yeah. source. Next is my topic. And it's something that I never usually, never really actually think about on the daily, which is like how to host my Meteor app. And we had the, the last time I was on the show, we talked about hosting. And I feel like this is a perfect article that came out of a lot of discussions about the recent hosting changes with going from free or free to not free and all the drama. Um, I remember in that episode, I talked about like how I love Galaxy because I don't have to think about it. I don't have to do anything. It just does it for me. Well, um, we have this great article from a guy named Julian. And uh, it's, it's how do I host multiple media apps on one digital ocean droplet? Now, I've never used DigitalOcean, to be honest. You know, my hosting providers of choice have been Modulus. And uh, I think in the past, I did Heroku. And I never used DigitalOcean. So I thought this was a really interesting uh, take on, you know, just deploying Meteor apps. Before Galaxy at WorkPop, we used the Demeteorizer, which I think a lot of people do use, to demeteorize the Meteor app turn it into a node app, and then host it on Modulus. This cool thing about DigitalOcean, one, is the sponsor of the show, right? <laughs> That's a good thing. Two, like, you get to use some of the Meteor community tools, such as like uh, Meteor Up, that like Arnota made, and uh, you, can, you can manage the deployment process like that. I think at the end of the day with deployments, if you're not that into the, to the whole DevOps thing, like I think the wish list that you really want is like, give me a command that I can just say deploy and I don't have to worry about it, right? That's like everyone's dream. Let me just hit deploy, blah, 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 and it's, it's done, right? So this article goes from just the top to the bottom. Like how, if I have a Meteor app, if I have multiple Meteor apps, how am I going to set it up on DigitalOcean? So he tells you how to do the server setup. He does the Nginx setup. He actually gives you all the code you'll need to do. So, like, the great thing about this article is if you want to learn, you can just copy and paste stuff, which is the best way to, like, just see and figure things out. You can copy and paste his, uh, his content, just see if it works for you. And he goes through all of it. He'll go, he goes in-depth into MupX, which is the Meteor Up tool I just uh, described. And, <laughs> once again, has a bunch of code for you to just copy and paste um, and see how it goes, you know. And that's pretty much the, the, the life cycle of this article. It's, it's really conc small, concrete, uh, just blocks of code that have good descriptions on how to do things and how to just uh, deploy on DigitalOcean, where at the end of the whole tutorial, you get that beautiful uh, line that says MupX deploy and everything works, right? So that's just the beauty of uh, this whole DevOps process, um, especially if, if you're not into DevOps kind of like me, 
this was a great thing to learn just because I didn't understand all this stuff that you have to worry about, you know, like I never really thought about it because at my company, it's not my job to think about this type of stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. So you're right. Like in full disclosure, both modulus and digital ocean sponsor the show. Um, but you know, like Mupex, I think it's, it's deceptively maybe easy to get set up and deployed. But if you're not a DevOps person, I would almost be leery of going this route just because, you know, when, when crap breaks, uh, you got to hope someone, it broke for someone else first and they put in a GitHub issue. Yeah. Uh, if you're using Mupex. So, I mean, it, it can, you could feel under the gun, right? And you, you really want to understand some of this technology if you're going to take on the hosting yourself, right? So if I go, I go and move my database to compose.io, then I'm now relying on them to do the support and make sure my crap works. Uh, whereas if I host it myself, then when something breaks, I got to figure out how to fix it. So I think that's, that's definitely like the difference for me. And he mentions let's encrypt at the end of the article, but I would say yeah. like, it should be part of this article. And, and in 2016, like let, let's encrypt. Like I, I saw a tweet the other day that's like, let's encrypt is definitely bending the curve upward on SSL adoption. Mm-hmm. And uh, since there's no cost associated with it at this point, like you should do SSL and you should consider donating as well if you're using it. So, yeah. Yeah. So I remember you used MUP back, back a while ago, right? I remember I still you, do. you still use MUP. Is that for yeah. Crater? Yeah. Crater. Um, Actually, all my stuff's hosted on DigitalOcean at the moment. Oh, okay. Using MUP. Using MUP. And do you think that's a, it was a good developer experience? You know, off the, of that or? For the most part. Uh, so I'll say, like, again, if you're not used to troubleshooting, like, this this could be a source of frustration for you. Like, I, I did that, that training class back in mid-February, and we tried to do DigitalOcean with MUP at 1.3 and we hit snags and we spent, I mean, I time boxed it to about five minutes. We couldn't get it fixed and we just moved on and deployed to like meteor deploy. I see. Yeah. So just be prepared to spend that time troubleshooting and understanding what's going on, like looking through logs. and. Like, yeah. So that's the MUPX side, but on the DigitalOcean side, since all your stuff's on DigitalOcean right now, What's the DigitalOcean developer experience for someone? Oh, I guess that's yeah. super easy. You yeah. know, like I, I just I log in, press a button, and it spins up a box. I get an yeah. IP. It, it drops my SSH key on there for me. Yeah, you can SSH in as root automatically off the bat. It, it's yeah. pretty, pretty I feel, honestly. I feel a lot of uh, tutorials and stuff will be revisited from like I remember reading a lot about deployments months ago when people were just iterating on their deploy scripts like MUP and you know, even mm-hmm. ourselves, Demeteorizer. And now with the end of free Meteor hosting, a lot of yeah. people are going to have to learn these skills, right? Yeah. You think DigitalOcean is probably the best place to go for a beginner and MUP, like this combo? Like, is there a good beginner? Yeah, I mean, so thing? here's the thing. Like, I, I would... I, I gave a talk at CraterConf and I, I just straight up said, like don't do this. Just go, go pay Modulus, go pay Galaxy, go pay someone else to do this crap, right? Because chances are, if you're trying to build a real business, this is not something that you necessarily want to spend your time on, right? Yeah. Because it's not interesting. It's not unique. It's not part of your value proposition. Go spend your time building that for your business. Don't, don't spend it building necessarily hosting. And I've, 
you know, I say that it's like, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Right. Yeah. Um, but I also enjoy this stuff. Right. So I, I, I've had, I ran webpulp.tv, a podcast for the longest time that was all about like building and scaling out infrastructure. And I worked for several companies. I worked on uh, words with friends. So this stuff's all been a passion of mine over the years. So, yeah. But I guess I uh, would say for anyone reading this article, you really got to know where, like, spend your time wisely. Like, if you're interested in this stuff, I would say read the whole thing. I was interested in it because I didn't know anything about it, but I would still give my money to Modulus or uh, Galaxy. Um, but it's a great read. I think it's really full of a lot of knowledge. And uh, props to Aronota from UpX and everything else he does. And props to Julian for writing this. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Good stuff. All right. So we haven't really talked much about Floyd Price, but he's, uh, he's been making some noise lately. And so I, I was glad to see this post uh, made it up uh, high enough in the vote count that it made it on the show this week. Cause I'm, I'm still doing that experiment where we take the top voted yeah. posts. And uh, so he's been doing some uh, meteor cast stuff, which has been good. Been really good. He wrote this article as well on uh, being a freelance media developer is different. And I don't know, I kind of perked up, right? Because obviously like I'm a freelance media developer and uh, I've, I've gone through some iterations. I never did PHP professionally, but uh, when I got into it, it was Rails. Mm-hmm. Started to get into Backbone. Um, and then uh, was kind of doing a, a Rails Backbone hybrid. Started to dabble into Angular. I never did Angular professionally then moved into to doing Meteor kind of. So, uh, you know, it kind of struck a chord with me. Uh, Obviously, like he's been through a lot of iterations as well. He kind of lists out the things he's done. Mm -hmm. Rails and .NET and Java, Visual Basic and all that stuff. And I don't know, I I think he's spot on with some of these points. Like he said, um, your your clients get freaked out by by your productivity. Cause it's like, you know, you can add full stack. Right? Like I can say yeah. you add user accounts and it's like, I just got a bunch of stuff for free. Oh yeah. You want Twitter support? There you go. Done. It's kind of funny. And, uh, he was talking about how his clients are leery that like you're moving too fast. Um, and, uh, maybe that's, that's funny. I think that that does drop off at some point. Yeah. Uh, once your app becomes large enough, you you've got enough code to maintain that it, you, you slow down. And if you don't want to slow down, you write tests. That's maybe the missing piece of that, that paragraph. But he points out all of a sudden you're a mobile app shop, which I think that's, true. that's probably been the most surprising part to me. And if I look over the last year and a half, the, uh, the majority of my time has been spent building mobile apps, which I, I would have never guessed getting in the media that would be the case. Yeah. Um, which has been quite eye-opening. You'll enjoy coding again. I, I think for the most part, uh, that's that's true. I think there's mm-hmm. no frustrating points. Uh, I was dealing with the uh, user account system and the inconsistencies that exist within it. <laughs> frustrating. But for the most part, yeah, like it's it's definitely, it can be refreshing to, uh, to move quickly in, which is, you know, I think at the end of the day, when you're a freelancer, the thing you got to learn to do well is ship ship as quick as you can and as frequent as you can because that's going to help the client. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of like uh, reusability come out of freelance work in Meteor. 
like people have multiple projects, so they build some boilerplates that help bootstrap different client projects. I know OK Grow has a little toolbox of things that they use when they do new projects because I guess, you know, as a, as a freelancer or like a dev shop, like you're getting multiple types of projects, you know, frequently and they kind of overlap sometimes or you have a basic structure that you do everything in. And I think it's interesting. I, it is interesting to be a meteor freelancer. It is different because the, your, your full stack, which is, which is crazy, like to people, they think that, oh, I have to hire you to do the design. I got to hire this guy to code the design. Then I got to go find a whole team in Russia to do everything else. And you can be just a guy from America or wherever and just be like, yeah, I'll do all of it. And I'll do it pretty fast too. And I think that's, that's a testament to Meteor. Um, once you get into a big app though, that, that you're just, you know, you've already done the fast stuff. You've already done the iteration really quickly. Now you're just grinding new things out and, I, th- I think that's I think that's where it halts for sure. Another thing in this article, which was which is funny, uh, you have to explain to people why you don't miss SQL much, even if you really do. I feel like this was like the biggest pushback on people who want to hire media freelance developers. I thought they didn't like think Mongo could scale or all this stuff. They're always uh, or any relational DB vendor is better, so they don't they're they're unsure about media. I remember you having a uh, some conflict with the client of yours because they, you know, because you, they were, you guys were using Mongo, right? And they didn't yeah. think it was going to, to to be right for them. Maybe when I was at Differential, we had that question. I was a lot. I could see that, but there was a shift maybe almost two years ago where I, I noticed more people were coming because they wanted to use Meteor and not, there was less selling on, hey, you should try Meteor. Um, yeah. I think it, it's a smart thing for your business, but you're getting a lot more like, we need you to build this Meteor app, which I think changes that particular piece of the story. But I'm starting to notice maybe maybe a trend towards the decline of like Meteor-focused people coming along. They're, they're more just, I need an app built. And, yeah. Uh, you know, what, whatever works, like we'll go with what you suggest. So things are swinging back and forth, I guess it's, it's interesting. Yeah. This is a, this was a good article. You know, I've never stopped to think about these little differences, but they're good. Yeah. I, I guess I have, right? Like I, I, I do a talk uh, on why media and I talk about like building things faster and getting them mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So it's along the same lines. Have you ever had a freelance project that was like meteor based, right? Where the, the, maybe the owners of the project were technical and they had their own opinions on how to build a meteor app, but they don't know how to build meteor apps. Mm, not, no, no. I'm, uh, so I'll say we came close when I was at differential. Uh, we had Max from uh, white rabbit in Japan. Like he was wanting to hire differential. And I feel like that was maybe the case there. Like they, they were building meteor apps and they wanted to augment their team. And so maybe maybe that would have been the case. But other than that, not really. I, I find most people are wanting to build brand new things or yeah. they, they maybe have a developer that's left and they need to replace them. And so those are the, the majority of the leads I get. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you kind of position yourself as like a Meteor guru type, type deal. Do you mostly get Meteor type projects? I did. You know, it's weird because I had one big project for a year and then like that kind of slowed way down. And so the in-between I started doing a lot of 
training and, and conferences and that kind of thing. And that kind of helped, help keep the money flowing in. So it wasn't yeah. bad. Uh, but now I'm back to doing uh, a lot more media or freelancing stuff. Cool. Um, the last two clients that have come in just want something built and they don't care how it's built. Less, yeah. A lot less meteor specific work coming in. Um, but I'm trying to change that as well. You know, I've got a code review service. I got to get the page up for it, but you know, 450 bucks, you get, you get a code review that comes with a video of me like telling you what's wrong with the app and what needs fixed yeah. uh, or what's good with the app. So you get a lot of suggestions. My dog's very upset. <laughs> she doesn't like the price for the code review, dude. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I well, find that's, that's the sweet point for the that price. That is a sweet point. Uh, I've, a company I worked in the past, we got charged 1.2K for some nobody to review our code, which I, we paid, which at the end of the day was just footnotes of, yeah, you should put a semicolon here. Like, oh, thank you. Thank, thank you for all your help. Here's no, $1,000. Yeah, right? I find the majority of my code reviews reveal like glaring security holes where I'm like, you, you pretty much have truck size security holes that we can drive a dump. Yeah. So you should fix that. Yeah. That's, that's that actually opens up, a, that opens up one more point that I want to say is like media freelancing is not necessarily client work, right? It's code review. It's teaching. It's conferences. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so much more than that. And because media is so fast, it actually allows you to iterate quickly on a conference, for example, like the creator Conf, which was super awesome, by the way. Like that stuff allows so much more to come out. And I, I think that's a little bit more. I think what uh, Floyd was talking about is more client work, but I feel like your type of freelancing is more like big picture type, you know, meteor, you know, work, you know? So yeah, this is a great article. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Floyd. And uh, keep up with the meteor cast. That's good. Yeah. Those are really good. Indeed. Kind of so wish I had those. React Native. Oh, React Native Meteor FAQ. So this is written by Spencer Carley, and uh, he has a bunch of blog posts about React Native and uh, Meteor. And he just wanted, I guess, like, you know, in, in Medium, when you write blog posts on Medium, and I do a lot, you get a bunch of the same questions mm. from a lot of people. And they either email you or they tweet you or they, um, they message you via Skype or Slack. And they always ask the same question. So I really appreciate, I should do an FAQ type thing on uh, the Meteor Redux tutorial that I did. But for him, he just put all these questions in one spot. And uh, there are actually some good talking points here. I'll go through a couple of them. Some of them are just, you know, you know like, it's like no brainer. But I'll go through the ones that I thought were really interesting. So we at WorkPop have a native uh, mobile app. Mm-hmm. And some of these uh, points that he said, are, 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 they go the same for the native app. So the first point is make sure your React Native app is pointing to the correct URL for your Meteor app, right? And we, we, we struggle with this a lot at WorkPop because we have like three or four environments. So some people are opening up the test, test app on their phone, they're playing with it, then they realize, oh crap, which, which, which server am I on or which database is this? And then... Uh, they have to make sure, like, oh, am I on staging? Okay, am I on the developed one? Am I, am I accidentally on master? And I'm actually doing some real stuff right now. So um, he, he said make sure that you always check your URLs. A good thing to do, and this is what we did at, at WorkPop, 
it's not React Native, but it's native. We have a we have a little like bar at the top of our apps. Let's say switch URL or switch environment. You click it. Oh, you want to use develop? Okay, click that button. Then it it'll reformat the app. So anybody can do that, and I would suggest that uh, for anybody else. Here's another one, which I think anybody who making like meteor mobile apps will know is like when I try to subscribe, I get an error that says invalid state error, and it's because you're not connected yet to the server. Like uh, there's not there's there's no DDP connection yet, so you're gonna get invalid state error. Like you'll get them a bunch in your console, and then you'll get you'll get the actual connection. And this is the biggest. This is the point I wanted to like open up. Like in meteor native and mobile land. Like these DDP clients that people have, like Meteor iOS is good, and you know maybe the DDP.js that uh, React Native is using is good. Android DDP sucks. The biggest problem between all these things is keeping connection, right? So many web or mobile developers are so used to a REST interface where they just open it up, they go grab some data or whatever. When you're doing it through WebSockets, like you can drop connection at any point, right? You can drop connection, man. Our app drops connection when you go into elevator. Like these are the things that you have to test. You have to go into a parking garage and see if you're dropping connection and all the stuff that we did. And if you don't have a good DDP client, you will drop connection like no other. It'll just drop on you if you don't have a nice like interface to handle a graceful connection loss. Your users will hate you because literally they'll try to be doing something and they can't. It'll freeze and then it'll just re. Flow and it's like completely a terrible time. So worry about your connection. Like, yeah, you can understand that you're not connected to the server yet. That's cool, but it's not good enough to just say, "Oh, I'm reconnecting. I don't have my connection." You really have to worry about the user experience um, of losing connection because it will happen a lot, and yeah. that's just from experience. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because I I, I think back to this time I was working at uh, Gaslight software they're a local shop here in cincinnati and we're building rails apps and it was like the first foray into an ios client now my dog goes nuts all time um it was a literal uh bug tracking app they would go out into the field they were hired by this this farming company that would come out and do uh, bug reviews of your your farming field and be like yeah you got corn smut over here and they wanted to build an app so rather than like having a pen and paper and a map yeah, they just wanted to have, like have the iPad and be like, "Here it is," you know, drop a pin right there. And so it was funny to watch that like dev cycle because they'd like write some code, mm-hmm. like, get it onto the iPad, and then get up and like walk outside, <laughs> and, like do some testing, and then walk back in and like change the code. It was it was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that's maybe the most painful part of mobile development is just like getting. Yeah. That, that flow correctly and like making sure you're testing for all those different edge cases and stuff. That's, that's true. And specifically with this whole subscription pattern on mobile, mm-hmm. I personally do not think it's, it's the right thing to do is in terms of architecture. It's a personal opinion for native, at least for native and maybe react native. Like I've been trying to push that if you're, if you're building mobile, mobile media apps, you should do everything through media methods. It's, it's still using DDP for your messaging, but you're not having to stream messages over the connection at all times. You it's you pretty much call and forget, get what you need, and you keep going. Um, it's it's similar to REST. If people like REST, and mobile developers usually like the REST pattern, so then they just have meteor methods, and they can just call and do all that stuff. 
But dealing with connection issues because of subscriptions, because you expected something to be there and it's not, like those are the worst bugs. So just be wary of that, guys. Um, yeah, two other, yeah. I almost kind of question, like how much do you really need reactivity and DDP in a mobile app? Yeah, really. Like, are you, is this Uber? Yeah. yeah like, I, I think there's very few use cases where it matters, matters. But I mean, I guess if it does matter, this article is good for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so then two other points that I really want to bring up are, can you do hot code push? Um, that was a big question that I've gotten from people who want to use React Native and Meteor. Like, do I still get hot code push? Because technically it's compiling into an app, not JavaScript. And yeah, there, uh, as a as a Spencer notes that there are like a couple of third-party places, like such as App Hub or Code Push, that allow you to, um, to to handle hot code push. But it's the same type of limitations that you would have in Meteor Cordova land. Josh, you have a, you have Cordova apps, right? Or and so does Ben. Like, yeah. How do you? How, how's hot code push for you guys? Like in the Cordova world. It mostly works good. Uh, we we were having some problems. Um, we had to use the uh, like. What was it called? Like update on reload or something like that. They've, they've got a package. Meteor has a package that you should really install. I honestly I haven't played with it in 1.3, so I'm kind of curious what it's going to look like there. And I don't know what kind of appetite my former client's going to have to move to 1.3. But yeah, for the most part, I would say they're happy uh, with what was built. And as a developer, I was pretty happy with it. The trouble I had really had to do, they were like project specific, not necessarily with Meteor itself. Like uh, there's some oddities around caching, like the iOS uh, or the Xcode build gets cached and it doesn't seem to update parts of it when you tell it to build. So you got to like go find all the little instances of the cache and they're kind of hidden all around your hard drive. Um, So they're not always easy to find. Some of them like you get all the way down into like your, your, your user library folder and you don't even realize those are there and you got to like those away too. I'm wondering, like that's probably an Xcode thing and not necessarily a meteor thing. You know, that's, that's the thing at the end of the day, like you, you gotta, you gotta start feeling comfortable in Xcode if you're going to be building an iOS app because you're going to spend a lot of time there and and some of it's like super confusing. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I didn't even have to submit to the app store using enterprise um, deployments, but it's still like even just getting the build working right. Or like we had a certificate expire and like that was painful as well. So Yeah. I feel like when you build uh, mobile apps, even if you're using Meteor, you have to approach it like a mobile developer as opposed to a Meteor developer because the same rules don't really apply, you know, like there's lots of curveballs. Some do, some don't, you know. One thing that I loved about this blog, Post. And one thing I love about Meteor in general is Mini Mongo. And so, like, uh, there's this uh, Mini Mongo cache that you can use for React Native. So, uh, you know, allows you to use the same type of data store like that. And one thing our mobile developers are really missing out on is having a client-side cache for their data. But, you know, they're, they're managing a lot of stuff in memory. And, you know, it's essentially they're, like, recreating little data stores. But it'd be nice to just have a standard solution for client data store on either mobile devices or non-meteor apps that are, you know, you know, just web. Um, I know so there was some uh, mini Mongo uh, discussions between uh, Sash, uh, Sashko and Pete Hunt. Um, and Pete actually implemented a, 
just a standalone NPM module that implements mini Mongo um, on the client. So you guys can check that out if you're you know in JavaScript land. But check out the the React Native mini uh, mini Mongo cache, and that will probably help you out in terms of uh, that client side data store. That's pretty much this article. There's other points like boilerplates and such. I just wanted to bring up the points of connection um, and making sure you're in the right, uh, the app state is right and where you are because those things transcend React Native and not. Actually, I really look at this article. I see it as a Meteor mobile development article. It just so happens to use React Native. A lot of the principles are very, very similar between React Native, Cordova, and native development. Uh, so I think it's just approaching it as a mobile developer, like get yourself out of the web mentality mentality and get into a mobile mentality and I think you'll have a really successful app whether you pick Cordova or you know PhoneGap or sorry uh, React Native and PhoneGap or whatever yeah if you go read this article at the bottom uh, it looks like uh, Spencer is thinking about writing a book I worked with Spencer at Differential Smart Guy there's a link there where you can get notified uh, get early access so uh, that sounds super interesting we need more uh, Meteor books in the wild yeah, maybe, maybe. There was a time when there were a bunch, and then no one wrote it one after like those ones, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like writing a book is a really intense process, man. I, I will say, like having tried to have done it, and then like choosing, like testing was probably the most terrible thing I could have chosen. <laughs> uh, because like you'd write a chapter, and then like by the time you got done with the chapter, it turns out that chapter was invalid, and everything had yeah. changed. And uh, I finally, like, after the, the fifth iteration of the Cucumber chapter, I just kind of, you know, threw the manuscript up in the air. And I'm out of here. F it. I'm done. But, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, I, I prefer the live training and video myself because I feel like it's, it's maybe easier to produce um, in the long run than writing words. But, you know, I... It, it could be interesting. Like I, to me, um, I, I'm not really looking at, at Meteor anymore for, for mobile. I'm actually looking at Feathers now. So cool. I'm going to start playing with Feathers JS and React Native over the weekend and see how that pans out. Yeah. React Native, man, just blowing up. I think it's, yeah. anyone should just learn it just for you know, the sake of like your career, I guess, just because things yeah. are moving the same way. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was watching uh, Ken Wheeler. Like I'm, I'm going to be doing, there's actually going to be another Creator Conf happening this year and it's going to be focused on mobile. So nice. And uh, React Native. And uh, I was talking to Ken Wheeler about it and, you know, like just go watch his talk and like the things that they were doing at Walmart to like build their pharmacy app was super interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were able to take what they learned from React and kind of apply it to building mobile apps. So pretty awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Cool. All right, guys. Well, that's the show for this week. Uh, thank you, Abby, for, for being here. Really Anytime, it. man. Yeah. Anytime. And as always, modulus.io and digitalocean.com are sponsors uh, if you need hosting. If you want to go more of the on the uh, cost-effective side and build your own structure, you can go with DigitalOcean. If you want a little more turnkey, you can look at Modulus. Uh, two great options. So Yeah. Awesome. And then as always, if you want to support here, uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Meteor Club. 10 bucks will get you into the Space Dojo Slack channel. And I'm actually thinking I'm going to put up a new uh, target. So if we get uh, up to 1500 a month in, in 
patrons, then uh, I'm going to start a Space Dojo, like a once a week, a week Space Dojo Code Kata uh, video series. Well, maybe once a week. We'll see. But, um, That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of excited about that. So Nice. That'd be awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All yeah. right. We'll see you uh, next time. I'd say next week, but I don't know. I don't know who's going to be here. Yeah. See. I'll see you when I see you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ami. All right. See you, man. Tune in, tune in next week, guys. This has been a Space Dojo production. You can find out more information about Space Dojo at spacedojo.com. It's easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. That's S-P-A-C-E-D-O-J-O dot com.